all through Scripture, Zion is referred to as the place where God dwells. And this is the way God speaks about himself. And we also know that in Scripture, we're invited to live with God. So what we say here is God's dwelling place is our dwelling place. Where God lives, there we are called to live also. And this is obviously a, a spiritual life and a walk that we have with him. But that, this is really important today because today we're remembering Pentecost, as we've just shared from Acts chapter 2. But Pentecost Sunday is about that moment in time where God invaded our world and never left by his Holy Spirit. And, and so today, our prayer, as we've been preparing for today, is that you would find this place to connect with God. You would find a place where you connect with God and that God would change your world. That's our prayer. So this is, this is what today looks like. This is called Pentecost. Um, and we're remembering the day that the Lord came in the form of his Holy Spirit and answered prayers. I think that's really important for us to remember is in Acts chapter 2, they were gathered together in prayer and we don't know what they were praying, but our model is Jesus. Our model is the way he taught them to pray, the way that they would come together and remember Jesus. He says, when you come together, do this in remembrance of me. And he taught them how to pray. And so my best guess, because it's not written in the book, my best guess is that they were meeting together in a room upstairs, which is like the family room, and they were praying the way Jesus taught them to pray. Lord, would you come here on earth as you have, as you promised? But we see also on the screen there that it was prophesied and promised many times that God would send his Holy Spirit. The references are on the screen for those of you that like to take notes. Joel chapter 2 is a prophetic book. It's a book where God is speaking through a man whose name is... I'm just checking if you're listening. Joel is written by a man called... Okay, all right, you are listening. That's great. So he's, he's, God is saying through this man that he's, he's going to shake people, but he's then going to restore people. He's going to bring, uh, give you back what you lost, he says in verse 25. And then in 28, God says, Then after doing all those things, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Well, that's pretty inclusive. God is an inclusive God. He doesn't want anyone to, and that's why we did that, that tunnel and that, that everyone could participate that no one would miss out. I will pour out my spirit on all people, God says. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. We can expect God to do things that we may not anticipate, we may not be used to. It might be outside our paradigm, but God certainly wants to move by his Holy Spirit. We want to make sure that we don't, if we prayed before the service, God, let us not limit what you would do by our expectations or our thinking. Let us not confine God because God is such a gentleman. He chooses to confine himself inside sometimes of our expectations. Not all the time, but sometimes. And then a crazy man came out of the wilderness. His name was John. And he says he was a precursor, one who had come before the one who was promised. And when he was asked, everyone was like, well, are you the one that God's been promising to send? And in Matthew chapter 3, you can see the reference on the screen. John says, no, look, I baptize you with water, and I baptize those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave or carry his sandals. He was speaking about 
Jesus. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that's what we saw happen. So spirit, we often, uh, Paul, well, Paul certainly in one place refers to the spirit of Jesus that came and set people on fire. And then finally, just to complete the slide up there, you look in John chapter 7, Jesus himself promised what God was going to do. In John chapter 7, verse 38, for those of you taking notes, anyone who believes in me may come and drink of living water. Anyone believes in me, for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not entered into his glory, which we, we see at the beginning of Acts. And finally, John 14, this is the promise. God is good on his promise, yeah? God is good on his promise, yes? So God makes promises, we should hold on to them, and these are why we remember the Scriptures, because God is faithful to his promise. Those things that he says, he will commit to bringing to pass. John 14, verse 16, God is, Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit. Well, in verse 15, he says, if you love me, obey my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. The word is paraclete, one who will never leave you. So Jesus has made this promise, and God is good on his promises, yeah? So, so then we, 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 we read the scripture that we saw earlier in Acts chapter 2, and we go to a place called Jerusalem. I want to look at three different locations today and see what the Holy Spirit is doing. And we can be part of that uh, if we choose. So Acts chapter 2, as I said, they're gathered together. They're in an upper room and they're praying the way Jesus taught them to pray. And I can only imagine that they're holding on to those promises and saying, Jesus, we believe you are the Son of God. Would it be as you have promised? That's my best guess. It's not written in the book, but it's my best guess at what they were praying. So what do you think I pray? Jesus, you're good for your promise. You said you would come and change our world. Would you, would you do what you've promised? That's my best prayer. It's the only prayer I've got. So we, we come to the book of Acts and we see, firstly, in, in Jerusalem that they're upstairs and they're praying. And I want to make this point really clear. God is good on his promise. And so the Holy Spirit comes as promised and brings breakthrough. That's a promise for you, and it's a promise for me, that God is good on his promise, and when we wait for him and we pray in line with his promise, he brings those promises to change our world. He's going to shake our world, and it's not going to be the way it's always been, but it's the way he sees it, and that's what this is all about. So in the book of Acts, chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit come, as I read earlier, and tongues of what looked like, tongues of fire rested on people's heads, and they... They began to pray in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. The noise was so loud in their prayer and the shaking of the city was so great that people came from all over Jerusalem to the epicenter, to the place where they were praying. It doesn't say that they came out of their house. It doesn't say that they went into the streets. It says that people came. They came running from every direction and were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken. So God was shaking that city. Never done this before in Jerusalem. And people came running to see what it is. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, took the opportunity and he stood up and he said, Friends, these people aren't drunk as you might think. 
They may look crazy, they may sound crazy, but they're not drunk. This is what God promised long ago. And he began to speak the message of good news. He began to speak about Jesus Christ being the way to connect with God and that he was doing what God had always promised. And I want to see a pattern in this because I'm going to point to this in a minute. But what you see in this chapter, and I encourage you to read this this afternoon. Go home and read this chapter because God is reminding us what he's done and what he wants to do. But we see people hear the message of Jesus Christ and their hearts are opened. What's the thing that's supposed to happen when we hear the message of Jesus? Our hearts are open. Why? Because it's the way we're designed by our Father in heaven. So we hear the message and we, we open our hearts. And, and, and then if you look in verse 37 of Acts chapter 2, it says, Peter's words pierce their hearts. Well, that's not literal, is it? Is it? Of course it's not. God's doing a transaction. His spirit is touching people on the inside, but the words open up their heart. And then they said, this is what I love. They're like, brothers, what should we do? They knew they had to respond. Like when you get a revelation in here, when it pierces your heart, you can't just stand there and go, oh, that was a good word, pastor. No, that's not the response. The response is, what should I do? Because God's word has touched my heart. Peter replies and said, you must repent, which means to turn from your false belief and be baptized, meaning go into the, the waters of baptism as, as uh, John and Jesus had both demonstrated. But what I want you to see in this pattern, if you finish the book, uh, chapter two, what you'll notice is that the believers gathered together in community. Acts chapter two, verse 37 Yeah, so, so pierce their hearts. What should they do? And he said, you must repent. And then Peter continued preaching, save yourselves. And those who believed were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 were added that day. So God grew a community. But then if you read just after that, you'll see that they formed a community together. What's the response to Revelation? Gathering together. Why? Because it's the way God's designed us to meet. One another in homes. One another in work. One another in the street. One another in the church building. That's how we're called to live. And the point here is that the breakthrough of the Holy Spirit led those people to repentance. And what I'm going to point to today is we're, we're part of a, a teaching series we're doing on finance is repentance leads to generosity. You'll see that they, they gave of their property. They shared everything. They shared their possessions with, with those in need. They, they gave money to those who needed things, and they met together in one place and worshipped the, uh, the Lord in the temple. They shared the Lord's Supper, which we'll do today also. So the key point in, in Acts chapter 2 for, for today is that it's, it's normal to have a revelation, but the response from a revelation is to come inside a redeemed community. A redeemed community is a gathering of people that have been transformed by God together. And that's why we gather. This is the way God's designed us to live. It's the purpose for us talking about breakthrough because we've been praying for a breakthrough. We're believing God wants to do a breakthrough in you and we're believing that the redeemed community that responds will come together and live in a different way. It doesn't mean to be set apart. We're not going to buy a, a paddock in the, in the far off distance and, and live behind gates. That's not what I mean. But what I mean is that we'd be set apart 
you want to do that? No, no. no we can have, should we do a church meeting right now? No, I'm joking. We're not going to do that. We're called to be set apart, but not set apart from. So as church leaders, we want to see a breakthrough that leads to a redeemed community that is generous. And that's really, that's one of our hearts. I want to see it in action in Scripture. So I said to you, we we're going to look at three locations. The first one is Jerusalem. The second one is a place called Macedonia. We've prepared this series and we've called it Mimicking the Macedonians. And there's a teaching series that we're doing this month. And we've prepared resources for you. You would have got the first resource as you came in the door. If you didn't get it, make sure you get one before you go out the door. But this is a resource that the team prepared this week. And it talks about the principles of giving and the prayer for giving. And I'm asking you to take those seven days of prayer and pray for our church. There's only one way we get redeemed, and that's by God's work in our community. This is not just me doing clever words or the next person coming behind me doing a a clever message. This is God transforming and redeeming his community, and that happens through prayer, and it happens when we pray together in agreement. So we've prepared seven days of prayer for this week, and we'll prod you and remind you, but I can't make you do it, but I need you to do it. Because the truth is, when we pray together in agreement, God does something significant. And that's what I'm excited about. So, I want to look at Macedonia. The first location was what? Jerusalem. The second location is Macedonia. So, we find Macedonia in the book of Acts chapter 16. Paul has had his... Um, come to Jesus moment on a donkey. That's in Acts chapter 9 where he fell off his, his donkey and couldn't see. And Jesus says, Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he went to the house of a man named Ananias and, and got healed. And he had this revelation of Jesus, a revelation of Jesus that changed him forever. A revelation of Jesus that changed him forever. And Saul, suddenly by this stage, becomes Paul, the one who was persecuting the church, who is now helping Jesus to build the church. And he's been on a trip, and he's had some success. We call that a missionary trip. And if you turn to the back of your Bibles, the paper Bible anyway, you can see a map. You can follow along where he went and read it in the book of Acts. When we get to Acts chapter 16, it's his second trip. So he goes out again with a man named Silas. And he's got a team, it says there. He's also got um, Timothy uh, that he meets there and, and Timothy's mother. And he comes to this place and they have a great time in the Lord. Timothy's uh, found his spiritual father and it changes his life forever. But then Paul has this wacky old um, thing happen. He has this like dream. And, and he sees in this dream a man from Macedonia who, who stands up and, and says, please come over to Macedonia which is the north of Greece, and please help us. So we concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news. So God had directed things to get Paul and his team to Macedonia. This is the location we're looking at. So why did I want to show you this? Well, I wanted you to see two people that he meets in chapter 16 and how they responded to an interaction with the message of the good news. The first is a lady called Lydia. So I want you to see this. We're going to read Acts chapter 16, and we're looking at uh, the Holy Spirit bringing a revelation to a lady called Lydia. So let's look. It's on the screen there. I'm actually going to read from verse 11. We, so Luke's writing this. He's now joined the team. We boarded the boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace. 
And the next day we headed at Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we stayed there for several days. This is a very, very influential city in the Roman Empire. And, and when you live there, you get special privileges. It's a key place. Obviously, God had plans to change the world because of this location. On the Sabbath, Luke writes, on the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. So they didn't know anybody. They didn't know where to go. There's no church on the corner with a sign and a cross. They're like, hmm, we'll just go where we think people would be. And of course, of course, they'll be by the river praying. Like, that's what we would do, eh? Which river? I'm not sure. Okay. So, so they're led by God, and they go, and they sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia. That's right. We're talking about Lydia. One of them was Lydia from a strange place. She's a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptized along with other members of her household, and she asked us to be her guests. I like this. This is a typical female thing to do. If you agree that I'm a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my home. She's like, well, prove it. Prove that you believe me. Come and stay in my house. That's what a lady would do. And she urged us until we agreed. That's also what a lady would do. So, so I want you to see that. It's not a criticism. Some of us need that urging. <laughs> So here's the point. What happens is Lydia hears the good news, and there's, a, there's something that happens that I've already, already pointed out to you. She listens to the good news, and it says her heart was opened. Holy Spirit does his work. When we hear the good news, his Holy Spirit does work, and he opens our heart to receive something. This is the work of God. It's not the work of the preacher. It says also in verse 14, look at the text. She accepted what Paul was saying. So her heart was open and she accepted the message. I love that. There's a pattern here. Same in Acts chapter 2. They heard the good news. Their hearts were pierced. They heard, their hearts were opened. And they said, what should we do? We listened to the message and received it. And then it says in verse 15 that they were all baptized, everyone in her household. So she's like, she's like the matriarch. She's like, well, come on, line up. We're all doing this. It's good for you. Shh. Get in line. Well, it's true, isn't it? Come on, maybe we should take some parenting lessons from Lydia. But here's the thing also. Watch this. The final thing I want to show you, and we saw it in Acts chapter 2, is she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us to until we did. You see, what's the point of a redeemed community? Common union. The word communion comes from that phrase common union. A redeemed community is all about common union, living together, doing life together, being blessed together. It's not the extent of our life. We've still got to go out and, and do what we need to do and, and sharing messages and demonstrate God's love, but common union is the essence of it. It's part of the family God. I want you to see it again in Acts chapter 16. We find a guy in Acts chapter 16 who wants to kill himself, and he is the jailer. So crazy stuff happens. I don't want to get into that today, but you can read that in the story. Paul and Silas end up in prison. Let's just say that. And while they're in prison, as any one of us would do in prison, they're singing hymns. Like, that's the first thing that I would think to do. 
I'd get a choir of rats together, and we'd bust out one of the old classics, probably a scripture and song. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The other prisoners were listening. It can't have been all bad. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. Why? Well, if he didn't do it, they would have. The Romans would have. So Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights. That's probably one of those smart electronic systems where you just say, Siri lights. ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Hmm. I'm seeing some clues here. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. This is good. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them, washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his home and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because of they all believed in God. What do we, we see the same pattern. We see them come together and go, well, what, what, what should we do? The Lord's opened his heart. The jailer's heart is open going, guys, what must I do to be saved? So they share the good news. And they listen to the good news. Hearts are changed to receive what they would tell them about Jesus. I love this in verse 33. Even at that hour of the night, he took care of them and washed their wounds. Why? Because they'd had the snot beaten out of them. The bruised and bleeding and caked blood all over their face. What's that? That's a response to the good news. How can you not take care of a brother or a sister when you've had the good news in here? Compelled to change. Everyone in his house was immediately baptized. I'm seeing a pattern. And then they came together and they shared a meal. What's that? Common union. See, the result of a redeemed community is common union. The result of a redeemed community is coming together to remember Jesus and sharing a meal together. This is a pattern. We see the presence of God by his Holy Spirit coming and changing a household in this case. And when they got a revelation of who God was, they got a revelation of who they are because of who God is. When we connect with God, we discover that we're created for much, much more than we think. We're created in this place of um, common union, which means we're actually created to live for one another. That's the revelation that comes out of community. You know, we've called this um, process, this, this teaching series, Mimicking the Macedonians, because that's what we believe, is that the Holy Spirit's going to bring a revelation to us from what the Macedonians did. Now, we see what happened to the Macedonians. We see that their repentance led them to a place of response. You see that with Lydia, who repentance says, well, what should I do? Come into my home, all of my home, and we'll be baptized, and we'll share a meal and have common union together. The jailer, the same thing. What should I do? What should I do? Repent and be baptized. Yeah, done that. Now, come into my home so we can have common union together. 
So that's what they did. But what was the fruit of that? What was the lifestyle of that? And what I want you to know is that the Holy Spirit and revelation and true repentance leads us to generosity. How do I know that? Because Paul makes mention of it several times in his letters. The first one is when he writes back to them. Hey, guys, guys, remember, I remember how much I love you. And every time I think of you, I just remember the times we had together where God's love was demonstrated through you. It's the book of Philippians. Let's turn to Philippians. This is a letter that Paul writes to them. And he's saying, guys, I need to help you. And I want you to live like Christ has has lived, that you would become like him, forgetting your, your status in the community, because Lydia was extremely wealthy, forgetting your status in the empire, because Philippi was a, a favored city in the empire of, of the Romans. He says, live like Christ, who put aside everything, became humble like a servant, and died for you and for me. But then he, he writes this passage, and I'll put it on the screen for you to take down as a note if you want to. It's Philippians 4. And reading from verse 15, it's quite near the close of his letter. He's giving them, he always, Paul's good, he gives you a, a bit of encouragement, he gives you a, a bit of direction, then he gives you a pep talk. He says, as you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent more help more than once. Now, I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, Paul says, I have all I need. Where's he writing this from? Prison. Mm, okay. I've got all I need and more. I'm generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphrodites. They are sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God, who takes care of me, will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Paul says, the flowing out of your revelation of Jesus has led you to generosity. That generosity will flow back into your life because God is abundant and has all things. And out of his richness and all of Christ, he will pour into your life because you had a revelation that led to repentance, that led you to a place of generosity where you held nothing back. Not quite sure it says that. Okay, let's turn to 2 Corinthians, because he writes to the church in Corinth, and he mentions the church in Macedonia, who we have just looked at. So turn with me, if you will, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul says, let me tell you about some friends of mine. Paul's writing to a church, just like ours. They're further down the bottom of Greece, if you look at the map today. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters... What God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. Some translations use the word extreme poverty. But they're also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify they not only gave what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They did even more than we'd hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to. So we've urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you, the Corinthians, and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. 
since you are excellent in so many ways, in your faith, in your gifted speakers, in your knowledge, in your enthusiasm, and in your love from us, I want you to be excellent also in this gracious act of giving. Paul is using the Macedonians as an example of a community of believers who got a revelation that led them to a place of repentance, and that repentance led them to a place of sacrifice. I think it's fair to say if you read the text, because I don't really want to get into the fullness of the text today, but revelation leads to a sacrifice, and that looks like sacrificial giving. You, you read it, there's way more in there than I can unpack today, and we might unpack it another day. But though they were poor in the midst of their struggles, well, life wasn't easy for them, was it? Even though they were poor, it would overflow into their life in joy. Joy. What is my prayer for you this morning? Joy. Why? Because joy is the byproduct of a revelation that Jesus gave his life for you. <laughs> if you haven't got joy, then someone's stolen it from you and let's get it back. Let's get it back. Because joy is your promise, joy is your portion. And this morning we've been praying for you that you would find joy in the message of Jesus. And finally, that joy, it says in verse 2, overflowed into rich generosity. What am I trying to convey? It's on the screen. Revelation leads us to a posture of sacrifice. It leads us to a place where we say, well, sacrificial giving is the only response if the Macedonians are the ones I need to mimic. Now, I don't know how that sits with you. When someone tells us we need to be sacrificial while giving, we get a little bit uncomfortable. We wriggle in our seat and we start making excuses. But I remember, I remember, I had to think about this for me. And 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 I can only speak on my behalf. But I remember, I remember this week a time in my life when um, business was going really well for me. Um, a previous season of my life, I, um, I owned, we owned multiple businesses that I was running and they were profitable. And I was also pouring that profit into the property market in the good old days. You can buy a house for $120,000 or a four-bedroom house in Chartwell for $150,000. I was buying lots of them. I was buying and selling a lot of property and God was extremely good to me, to us, to our family. And he blessed us. But the danger is when you get to that level of success... Success gets your heart. And suddenly you feel like the truth is that the whole world revolves around you. And when that happens, you get into a spiral, and God doesn't want that, so he likes to bring correction. But I don't know if you remember the parable that Jesus talked about a young guy. And in my Bible, it's actually headed up, the parable of the rich, young, fool. And in my story, I was the rich young fool that needed correction from a loving father. It took a significant encounter with God for me to realize that. I had to realize that the Lord gives and the Lord can take. Because everything I have is always given to me by Him. And until you get that revelation, you can't live in a life of sacrifice because you like to think you're in control. And when I was thinking I was in control and that I was clever and that I was bringing blessing into my family and I was working my guts out for them and the next few generations, I thought I was in control. And when you think you're in control, well, you are, which means God's not. 
And it took a significant encounter for me to realize that I wasn't the center of the universe, that I wasn't as clever as I thought I was, and that God is the one who gives and the one who takes away. As far as the Macedonians are concerned, their revelation led to sacrificial giving. As far as I'm concerned, my revelation also, finally, eventually, after much whining and kicking and screaming, led to the same. I wonder what it would mean for you. But on reflecting on my journey, I had to think about where did I get to and what was life like for me. And I can only speak for me. But I want you to hold these things up as a mirror and see what they mean to you. Because as I've been preparing for today, and we've got a big day planned. We have an encounter service planned tonight where we are going after breakthrough. We are going after financial breakthrough for individuals and families in a way that we haven't done before. And I'm excited about it. And today I'm going to scratch something that I hope provokes you. Because I want you to want breakthrough. I'm not going to force it on you. I can't do that. You've got to hear it, but you've got to open your heart and say, brother, what should I do? Repent and receive God's freedom. So I've been thinking about that, and, and I was thinking about my journey and, and, and the current views of Christianity, and I came up with these phrases here. Sometimes we see in, in my life, inverted Christianity, that's where I pray, Holy Spirit, please follow me. Or what I've called routine Christianity, where it's like, well, I prefer the safety of comfortable. We also have what we see sometimes in my life, cut and paste Christianity. And that's where I'll believe the truth I choose. Now, it's some truth, but not all truth. Tragic Christianity is when I believe that life always affects me. I'm a victim. I'm the outcome of other people's mistakes, problems, or situation. And life is tragic for me, and that's my faith story. People build a whole religion around that. People build a lifestyle around that. They build monasteries and live in brown robes. Finally, reflex Christianity. And that is where I react the way I always have. I'm going to live this way. I'm made this way. My parents made me this way. I'm going to do it this way. And you know, the risk is... Put money aside. The risk is if you choose to live your faith life like that, God will never bust you out of a box. What do you think happened in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost? Those guys got busted out of a box. They'd never, ever experienced that before, and yet they were willing not to accept life to be the same as it always has been. But we can get in patterns. We can get in paradigms. You know, I was in a meeting one day, and a minister, a minister says, well, brothers, I would pray for a biblical move of the Holy Spirit. I'm like, which move of the Holy Spirit was biblical? Which one had a precedent? None of them. They're biblical now because they're in the Bible. But they weren't biblical when that happened. Elijah on Mount Carmel didn't go to the Scriptures and go, well, God's going to send his fire. He said, okay, I'll do it. No, he just prayed and the Holy Spirit came and consumed up his sacrifice. Let's not get sucked into patterns. Now, this is my confession. Like, I'm, I'm confessing to every single one of those, and to be honest, <laughs> once in my life, I hit the jackpot and got all five. <laughs> but hold those up as a mirror. Hold them up in front of yourself. Hold them up and think, is, is this any way representing a piece of my heart? Because God wants to change your world. Pentecost is about him invading your world in order that you would no longer be the same. And we came up, as we prepared for today, and we put a lot of time in today. As we pre- prayed and prepared and planned for today, we came up with this phrase. 
And we think this is on God's heart for today. And I'm a little bit excited. Do you want to know what God's, I think is on God's heart for today? Holy Spirit disruption. I think he wants to disrupt patterns. I think he wants to stir us. Like I'm poking the bear today. I'm scratching a few things that might be a little bit sensitive for you. Well, I'm about to do it a little bit more. Because I believe God wants to break us out of reflex Christianity. Break us out of our patterns that we would do things we'd never done before. Because we've got a revelation of Jesus Christ. That a revelation leads us to repentance. Repentance means we've got to change who we are. That's the only response. So, Macedonians, out of their severe trials, out of their discomfort, out of their extreme poverty, joy turned up in their life. And I don't mean a lady called joy, I mean the joy of the Lord. The joy led them to a place. And I want you to see this. Because what I want to know is what does it mean for Te Aumudu? I wanted to talk to you about three locations today. The first was Jerusalem, the second was Macedonia, and the third is Te Aumudu for us, for our town, because God wants to invade Te Aumudu and transform our town, and it starts with us, not just us. By us, I mean the Christian church of Te Aumudu. Everyone who's meeting today, may God touch the church of Te Aumudu and set them on fire. God gave me five areas to provoke you in, so you're welcome. The first, one, the first one I felt God say is we've got to overcome fear. We've got to go after breakthrough. We've got to go after breaking out of our paradigms. And this looks like overcoming fear. What does fear look like in relation to money? Uh, anxiety about bills. Worry that you won't have enough. Fear comes when we can't see God's answer in the midst of our challenge. And, you know, don't think more money is the answer to your problem because I can tell you the more money you've got, the bigger problems you've got. Well, money's not the answer. Trust me, I have worked in, those, in this area with those that have little and those that have much, and the problems just have more zeros on the end. So when you're worried about a $4 million bill tomorrow, it can bring anxiety. But does God care about the number of zeros in your problem? Of course not. But fear is not our friend. Fear comes as we attempt to strive in the midst of our challenges and fix our problem without God. God's not saying you won't have challenge. He's saying, I want to be with you in your challenge. And when you respond in fear, you're responding without God with you. Fear is just faith in the wrong thing. Shani posted a quote on Facebook and I commented on it because I'd just literally been reading it out of a friend of mine's book, Stephen DeSilva. He wrote this, believing God can do something is different from trusting he will do it. Believing God can do something is different from trusting him to do it. Trust is an action that commits us to risk. Because it's an action, it can only be done in the present. Fear is not our friend. What's the antidote? Isaiah 26 and verse 3, Isaiah again is a prophet who speaks on behalf of God, and he writes this, and speaking of God, he says in Isaiah 26 verse 3, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. That's a good word for someone right now. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. What's the Hebrew word for peace? Shalom. Shalom is the word for peace. Here's a definition for shalom. Harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, 
welfare, and tranquility. Modern definition would include the word prosperity in the place of, oh, it's there anyway, prosperity. Perfect peace comes when we rest our minds on who God is. Even in the midst of a storm, we can raise a hallelujah. Tonight, we're going to be addressing fear and a few other things. And um, I'm praying the peace of God rests. Something else we need to overcome is greed, or sometimes referred to as mammon. Mammon is uh, only mentioned a couple of times in the Bible, but it's something we can study. And it's, uh, it's, it's rooted in insecurity, believe it or not. Jesus says you can't worship God and mammon. Mammon tricks us into thinking that more will be the answer to our safety and our security. More. 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 That's mammon. More. But we can't worship God and mammon. But it grips us. And it grips us in ways we don't even realize. And it sneaks up and bites you on the bum before you realize it. And that's what happened to me in January this year. Just gone. And God wants me to share this story because I want you to see how subtle it is. One of the things that I love to do at home is roast coffee beans. And uh, on Thursday, if you come around to my house, the whole house smells like roasted coffee beans. It's like heaven. And uh, if you came and saw my coffee roaster, you might actually think I was doing some other illegal activity because my machine is extremely basic, but effective. One day I'm looking on Trade Me, as you do, and I find this coffee roaster, and it was beautiful. And it wasn't like the $5,000 roaster that I really want. It was a lot less than that, a little bit less than that, some, some less than that. And I'm like, man, that's awesome. So you put it on your watch list, and you, think, you go back to it every morning. You're like, hmm, look at that. That's quite nice. I like that. And it was, it was like polished chrome, and it had uh, wooden handles, and um, you could do batch roasting, and, and, oh, and it was also electric, because my current one is gas, and uh, when I had my fire um, in the garage, um, the flames almost reached the, the butane bottles that I have stored up there, and um, that could have been quite bad. So electric would be safe, so I can justify it. And then I missed out. I just missed the deadline of the auction. I'm like, oh! And I'm like scouring the internet trying to find another one of these machines. And I can find them overseas, but that's a bit, of, a bit more money than I wanted to spend. And I'm like, oh, no. And I'm saying to Kathy, like, don't worry. They'll list it again. They'll list it again. And I'm there every day watching. And what happened? It got my heart. It got my heart. And it came back, and I put it on my watch list. I'm not missing out this time. I don't care what it takes. I am not missing out. I've got the money, so it's not really a problem. And then the Lord said to me, he's like, son, that's a really beautiful coffee roaster. And I'm like, I don't know. I know. He says, do you really need it? Now, that's a good question, but not a great question, because I can answer that question. Well, I've got reasons. Do you need it? Yes. Why do you need it? Well, here's my 74 reasons. Why? Because I got my heart. So then he asked a better question, because he's the king of questions. He's like, when is enough enough? See, God is good. He's gentle, but he's precise. And does he want me to have a coffee roast? He doesn't care. 
by the coffee roaster. He wants me to have good things in life. He wants me to feel, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm winning at life. But when is enough enough? When it's got your heart. That's mammon. And it could happen on a silly thing like a coffee roaster. It could happen with a car. It could happen with a house. It can happen with a status. It can happen with a job. It can happen with even your children. You can turn them into an idol when you worship them. Mammon. Always thinking more will make you happy. Hoarding stuff in case you need it for another day. Collecting trinkets and making them idols. Coveting things you know you can't have. Tonight, we are going after mammon. And we're going to break out of it. Because we can only move into the level of generosity God's got for us without it. I don't have the coffee roaster, no. I only look for one occasionally. <laughs> no, look, I'm still roasting beans with something that looks like it's a meth lab, so it's fine. That is also a question I can't answer. Okay. I want to do this. Oh, we, we've got to keep moving because we've got to finish the service. Um, overcoming poverty. I talked about this in night school recently. For those of you that are part of the night school community we've got with teaching, we went after the orphan spirit, which is the root of thinking in a poverty way. What is thinking in a poverty way? Just real quickly, real simply, it's just like this. There's never enough. Now, that's true. But the poverty spirit makes you think there's never enough for you. And then it binds you and it twists you and then you say, well, there's never enough for me because I'm not worthy. It goes to the core of your identity in God and says you're not worthy to have God look after you. And I meet people all the time that are bound up in this. I post a whole bunch of videos this week um, advertising tonight and talking about the things that God wants to break off people. You can go and find them. They're on our Facebook. But the truth is we've got to get out of that. And the answer, the answer is found in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, Paul writes to the church, if you live according to your flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Here's the answer. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. What's the answer to being an orphan? Being adopted. Having a revelation of your adoption. Having a deep-rooted sense that you know beyond a shadow of any accusation that you're a son or a daughter of God, where you cry out, Abba, Father. And every time you look at your balance of your account or your retirement fund or your bills or your business and you go, <gasps> I'm not worthy for God to look after me. The spirit of sonship rises up and says, you are worthy because Jesus makes you worthy. And we've got to get that as a revelation in our spirits. For those of you that want some homework, I want you to read that passage, Romans 8, 13 to 17, from the Amplified Bible. I don't have time to do it now because there's twice as many words, uh, but the Amplified Bible unpacks it in a way that would be really, really good for you to read. This is the kind of disruption God wants to bring into our church disrupting poverty and digging out the orphan spirit that we would stand radiant and glorified by Jesus as sons of God. That is the antidote and that's the promise. I'm moving quickly. This last one, 
I, um, I just, it was a revelation for me. I used to travel the country doing financial seminars and community groups, churches and schools and stuff. And I would teach people a whole bunch of practical tools around money. And then I was like, Lord, why is this working some of the time but not all the time? Because I've proved it works. Thousands of times, the stuff in my books makes people's life better financially. And God said, well, that's awesome, but you're changing their head and not their heart. Many, many people get bound up with disappointment. Well, the way I thought it was going to go didn't go that way, and so that disappointment changes my heart. And they live with broken dreams. And broken dreams bind us into a place where we think we can never have more than we have today. That we shouldn't hope, we shouldn't dream, we shouldn't reach, we shouldn't strive with God because our hope is broken because of previous disappointment. Why are these issues? Well, the, revel- the revelation the Macedonians got is my, is my key here. Even in their extreme poverty and hardship and trial, joy. How? <laughs> because that wasn't based on their circumstances. Their joy wasn't based on their bank balance or their investment portfolio or how, what kind of boat they had compared to the neighbor. The joy was based on their connection with the revelation that Jesus is the Son of God who came to love them and to save them, redeem them back into a relationship with God their Father. There's the joy. And that joy was like, well, I'm giving what I got. Extravagant generosity. If I could get the youth to man those uh, communion stations for us, the youth are going to serve communion. And we're going to take communion right now. So I want you to stand. Because this is the moment. In the middle of the night, God says to me, hey, we need to do communion, not where you thought, but where I want. And that's at the moment where I want to bring healing to people's broken dreams. You see, communion is an opportunity for us to remember that Jesus Christ came as the Son of God. That he came because we were broken, we were disconnected, and we had no hope except for in him and the promise that we couldn't yet see. And Jesus came and gave his life. He demonstrated what it's like to live as a son of God. And then he said, look, guys, you too could have this life. Believe that I'm the son of God. Believe that I gave my body broken for you and your healing. Believe that I shed my blood for you and your sins. And when you remember my body, when you remember my blood, there too I will be, restoring you to the Father. That's what we do when we receive communion. So I'm going to invite you to come out now. Come out and just go to one of the four corners of the church. The the guys have got the plates. Just come, come now and receive the emblems. Find someone to pray with. Just one and twos, threes or fours. Just head off and and, and grab some cracker and grab some juice. These represent Jesus Christ. And as you gather and receive, remember that Jesus Christ paid the price for you to come into a relationship with God, to come into a place of hope and wholeness. This is the moment where we remember Jesus. When you've done that, I want us to pray this prayer together. So having received the emblems of communion, having declared that Jesus is our healer, what I want us to do is to read this prayer together that's on the screen. So on the back of the revelation that Jesus is the Son of God, the Redeemer of all mankind, let us pray this prayer together. You guys ready? Let's pray. Jesus, I am your beloved and you are mine. I am being perfected by you 
the author and finisher of my faith. You have a great plan for me beyond what I could ask or imagine, and I choose to cooperate with you. So I reopen my dreams and visions to you. I ask you to relight my hope. I ask you to release my redeemed imagination. I declare I am a prosperous soul. Amen. You may have your seats. That uh, prayer came out of my friend's book, uh, A Prosperous Soul by Stephen De Silva. Uh, And prosperous soul is a phrase that comes out of 3 John and verse 2. Beloved, I pray in all respects that you'd prosper and be in good and health, just as your soul prospers. And Steve, uh, my mate, wrote a whole book about it. So what's the, what's the positive thing out of today? Here's the thing. Jesus wants you to become purposed. Tonight we have got a special encounter night planned. We're going to get straight into it. We're going to go after it. And we've got some specific things that uh, is going to bring breakthrough for people. We've called it the battle gown for breakthrough. And it starts at 6 o'clock. If you're not able to make it, then this is the short version you need to become purposed. We want to become purposed in Christ. We've got to become connected to something much bigger than ourselves. Remember my testimony? When we, our hearts get twisted, we think that the world revolves around us. And Jesus is saying today, it doesn't. It doesn't. And this month, we're going to highlight various aspects of what we do as a church that we want you to be part of. Um, we've called this um, series Mimicking the Macedonians. And it really is about becoming purposed and our missions giving, as well as our regular giving. Um, so these cards are for you to consider how you'd be part of what we're doing. Um, we believe in this church that there is regular giving and there is missions giving. At the end of the year, we talk about vision giving, but it's about living a life of sacrifice and being part of something bigger than yourself. So you can choose when and how you respond to this this month, but I wanted to take the opportunity to get these cards in your hand because we've got a bunch of missions partners we'll be profiling this month, and the truth is we can't support them without regular financial contributions from you. So think about it, pray about it, think about the revelation that God's bringing into your world, and then ask him how he wants you to respond. If I could get the band to come and uh, get back on stage, we're going to finish with a song. And, and, And the reason that I've asked the band to finish like this is because today is about us connecting with God. Today is about us having that encounter with Him that leads us to repentance. But repentance is simply a biblical word that just means to turn from your way of thinking to Him. There's much, much more to it than that. But today is about just where's my heart in relation to Him. And as we sing this song, I really want you to ask the Holy Spirit to come and disrupt your world. I wonder if you'd be bold enough to. Holy Spirit, would you come and disrupt my world? Would you come and change it and shake it in a way where you bring your power and your love into my reality? I would invite you to come and join us tonight at 6 o'clock. We're doing Battleground for Breakthrough. We've got specific things planned where we're going to be leading people into a place of encounter with God. We're going to be breaking off some of those bondages that hold us back from walking ahead. Because one of the things the Lord said to me, He said, look, you can teach all you want on money. And I do. I do. I love to. But He says, unless people are broken free from some of those bondages, they won't walk into the revelation.
And so that's not a criticism, that's just the reality of what God says. When you're held back by chains, you can't move forward. So tonight is about breaking some of those chains, breaking off some of the lies, letting us walk in freedom so that we can be enabled by Him to live a life that He's called us to live, to be purposed in Him, to be part of something much, much bigger than ourselves. Why don't you stand? We're going to sing this song. We're going to really pray it as a prayer. We're going to pray and sing that we would truly surrender ourselves to Him.